I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Doran. And this is Radio vs. the Martians. This month, Batman. I don't remember a time in my life that I didn't have Batman in it someplace. And like any child born in the past 50 years, it's not easy to remember the first time I first encountered Gotham City's Caped Crusader. More than any other superhero character, he's the one so ubiquitous in our popular culture that you actually struggle to remember the first place you saw him. At best, you can really only narrow it down. The first time I saw Batman was either in the Super Friends cartoon series or the Superpowers action figure line from Kenner in the early 1980s. And even then, contrasted with his fellow superheroes like Superman or Wonder Woman or Green Lantern, there's just something immediately unique about Batman. Partially it's the costume, with his distinctive mask with the iconic ears, or the long cape with the scalloped bottom to look like bat wings. He's the superhero with the most easily recognizable silhouette. But what really stands out about Batman is that in a genre defined by characters who can bend solid steel with their bare hands, bounce bullets off their chests, or even fly faster than the speed of sound, that the most popular superhero of them all is a character without any superhuman powers. He's not an alien or a demigod or the beneficiary of a lucky lab accident. He's just a really rich orphan whose parents' murder motivated him to dress up like a bat and devote his mind, body, and fortune to a war on all criminals. First created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger in the pages of Detective Comics in 1939, Batman remains to this day one of the most consistently published, animated, and filmed fictional characters of all time. Appearing not only in Detective Comics and his own self-titled series, Batman has starred in literally thousands of comic books over the past 75 years. And that's not even counting the hundreds of comic books starring Batman's secondary and spin-off characters like Robin, Nightwing, Batgirl, Azrael, Batwoman, the Gotham City Police Department, and even iconic villains like Catwoman, Penguin, and the Joker. In fact, when DC Comics rebooted their entire line of comic books in 2011... A full 13 of their 52 ongoing launch titles starred either Batman or Batman-related characters. That's a full quarter of their superhero publishing line. 
Batman has also headlined nine feature films in theaters, a 1960s Adam West Helm television series that was still being rerun decades later, and at least seven different animated television programs and countless direct-to-home video adventures. He's appeared in both screens, both large and small, almost without interruption since at least the late 1980s. And why wouldn't he be everywhere? The demand for the character is apparently inexhaustible, and it's not hard to imagine why. Batman regularly does awesome, impossible things. He's like a wonderful combination of Sherlock Holmes, James Bond, Bruce Lee, and Harry Houdini. He escapes inescapable death traps, he defeats undefeatable foes, and he has a bat-themed rocket car. So, whether he's taking out an entire dockside warehouse full of armed henchmen, rescuing his sidekick Robin from a giant typewriter, or battling Martian invaders alongside the Justice League of America, Batman is fucking awesome. So buckle up, and atomic batteries to power, turbines to speed, because we are talking about the Caped Crusader, the Dark Knight Detective, Batman, on this episode of Radio vs. the Martians. Let's meet the panel. First, joining us after a way too long absence, he's a comic book retailer and luchador aficionado, our good friend, Mr. Paul Rue. Welcome back to the show, Paul. Always a guest to be on. And joining us for the first time, he's the co-creator and host of the View from the Gutters comic book podcast. Welcome to the show, Mr. Joe Preddy. Thanks for having me. And finally, the Robin to my Batman, the Chief O'Hara to my Commissioner Gordon, Mr. Casey Doran. Hello, how's, sir. Hey, Mike. How's it going? Good to have you here, Casey. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I wanted to kick off this conversation by getting into that hardest of questions, where we first saw this fictional character. Um, he's just about everywhere, and he has been since well before we were kids, before our parents were kids. So, Paul, I want to open with you. Do you remember the first time you saw Batman? Uh, I'm going to guess it was either Super Friends. Uh, just for context, I grew up in the early to mid-70s, and I watched a lot of cartoons and a lot of telly growing up. So I'm going to assume it was either the Super Friends cartoons from the 70s or reruns of the Batman show from the 60s. Casey? Yeah, uh, I really, my awareness of it did uh, really flourish in my actual memory for Batman 89, but I'm sure that I saw the Batman TV series, which is, I think, why it seemed so awesome when Batman was coming out and it looked like a real action movie. So I think I'm pretty sure it was reruns of 66. And Joe? I It was... Probably a toss-up again between Super Friends and reruns of the the Batman '66 show, because they were on about the same. For me, I would get home from school, and reruns of Batman would be on. But I also was watching Super Friends around that time, so it's either one or the other. What is the appeal of Batman? Why do people like this guy? Um, I don't like him. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can tell you why I like Batman. And then I can tell you my personal idea of why I think pop culture has glommed on to Batman. And maybe glom is, is mm. I don't mean that in the way of like, you know, fake Sucking the life people. out of him? Yeah, I, yeah. Th- and I, I think that's definitely, mm. yeah. <laughs> I love Batman because he is, he's the guy that Superman calls when he needs, you know, a fresh pair of eyes, right? He has, through only his own iron will, made himself into the utmost a human being can be. 
He has trained his mind, he has honed his body, and he has become the ultimate human being. And he's done it in pursuit Ooh. of one thing. And it's not something I, I think a lot about when you think about the iconography of the DC universe and you think about Wonder Woman who represents truth and Superman who represents peace. You, Batman represents justice, which is by far, I think, the grayest of those three things. Right. But yet he devotes Ooh. his life to it and he has built this family around it. And for me, that's what really draws is, you know, my favorite Batman is Dad Bat, which is funny because I think it flies in the face of what pop culture likes about Batman, which is basically that he solves all his problems by punching them, <laughs> which is I, it's something I personally have written about and, and kind of try and speak out against is I think Batman is a lot more than that. But I think in, in the public perception, he's this very intense, you know, in, in a time when people are angry because they're being constantly fucked about by things that they can't control. Who wouldn't want the big, scary dude that punches the shit out of people? Who doesn't want to relate with that guy? You know, you certainly don't want to relate to the big blue Boy Scout that's trying to understand the people he's facing, right? You want the guy that's screaming at people in alleys because it's clearly the guy that represents how you feel. So that's that's my own personal thing. That's I think pop culture is like, because it kills me when people are like, well, Superman isn't relatable, Bat Batman it is. And I'm like, that's funny because I have parents that love me, that raised me in their values, which is much more of a relatable thing to me than being a billionaire orphan. Because <laughs> I can't remember the last time I was a billionaire orphan. And, you know, I think it's just what people relate to is the anger. Yeah. And, and I think... Um, cool. I think that kind of saddens me because well, there's also a big part of that power fantasy too about there's a Superman is like Ooh. the ultimate power fantasy right you fly you can punch you've got crazy super you're invulnerable you can do anything you want to um, but Batman has the more human power fantasy the more down to earth one which is yes Ooh. you've got billions of dollars can do whatever you want to you lead one of the best with the exception of having your parents die and that traumatizing you for the rest of your that life. That is a big thing. You have a really reliable and fatherly butler who does everything you need him to do. Um, you can drive any car you want. You can mm. date any model or actress you want. Um, but you also get to be the best human being on the planet. Like the most capable human being on the planet. Mm. Um, I guess except for maybe sanity. Mm. Since the sanity is always in, in trouble. <laughs> yeah, um, well, yeah, yeah. But yeah, uh, he and I think in juxtaposition to Superman too, he clearly has character flaws that can be exploited whereas the only flaw of Superman, one that he doesn't control which is that he has a weakness for some mineral uh, that comes from another planet, his only other weakness is his relationship to other people, right? Is like, don't hurt Jimmy Olsen. Batman's flaw is that he is on a razor razor thin edge of becoming just as bad as the criminals that he hunts down, right? Um, because he, he mm. wants to represent law, but he's also a vigilante, and if gone too far, he could be considered a criminal. So I think he's more human, right, as a superhero, but he's also the best human a human can be. So, Paul? Um, to me, I think uh, the reason why... I mean, Mike sort of set it up in the in the monologue. He said, you know, sometimes he's, he's Sherlock Holmes, and sometimes he's James Bond. And the thing that I think appeals to people about Batman, and it's why Batman is so popular, is because he's pretty much a blank slate. Hmm. If you're an angry teenager, 
you know that and you you feel you have no control over your life then yeah you empathize with the guy who's got the bitching car and all the hot chicks <laughs> and the the super friggin you know clubhouse with the big screen tv and you go around every night and you punch the shit out of everybody that has ever <laughs> pissed you off um but on the other hand i mean i i've read stories like growing up i read a lot of batman comics and one of the things about growing up in Australia is that most of the comics you read are reprints of American comics. And they're reprinted really cheaply in black and white. And what they do is they get, like, the modern comics and they put them at the front. And then they go, holy shit, we've got a whole bunch of space at the back. And they just fill that with whatever is lying around in the archives. So when I picked up a Batman comic, it would have, like, a couple of Batman stories from the 70s and 80s. But it would also have some 40s stuff and some 50s stuff and 60s stuff. It would be all over the shop. So when I read Batman, you might have a story where he's doing international intrigue and tracking down Ra's al Ghul across, you know, uh, exotic locales. And then you'd have a story where, which is like a straight detective story mm. where somebody's been murdered and Batman shows up and puts the clues together. And it's like it's pure Ellery Queen's stuff. Mm. And then you'd have a story at the end where Batman teams up with Fat Man, who's a circus clown <laughs> who dresses up like Batman and entertains people. And Batman, Robin, Fat Man and Ace the Bat Hound track down the guys that stole the, the receipts from the, the, the circus. Um, so I was reading all sorts of stuff and sometimes it was frivolous and sometimes he was a crime fighter and sometimes he was a detective and sometimes he was this grim avenger of the night and sometimes he was a pulp hero and sometimes he was a full on superhero hanging out with spacemen and, you know, battling supervillains and fighting giant robots. And basically Batman is whoever you want for him to be. Mm. He is pretty much a blank slate that you can project what you want out of the character onto yeah definitely there's the versatility of batman i've always said is is real strength that he can be that gritty crime noir character he can basically strap on a bat bat themed jetpack and take off to space to help adam strange fight a bunch of alien monsters and there's this thing that i think batman has which is that he can go to the Old West and team up with Jonah Hex. He can take part in a James Bond adventure, like you mentioned, and none of it ever triggers that part in your brain that says, oh, come on, bullshit. <laughs> because you can say with just about any character out there, there's this parameter of stories that they star in. That Tarzan is a character who does a lot of jungle adventure, fights a lot of monsters, goes to a lot of ancient temples that James Bond is a character that's always globetrotting and getting involved in intrigue, and there's like a lattice with like a gun barrel comes through and shoots his contact in the back. We're so used to this stuff, has the gadgets. And with Batman, he can do both of those things, plus more. He can get involved in the Flash Gordon stories. You can take just about any piece of fiction out there, take out the main character, and put Bruce Wayne as Batman in that role, and it basically works. That you can do just about anything with this character. And it's like this sort of magical element that Casey and I have said about the Arnold Schwarzenegger movies, which is that there's a level where your brain just triggers the end of the suspension of disbelief. <laughs> and it doesn't exist for Batman. Yeah. Because you're like, 
There's an example. There is a Batman trade paperback collection that collects the Neil Adams miniseries Batman Odyssey, and on the cover, he is riding a fucking pterodactyl. Yes. <laughs> and my reaction to that is not, what? My reaction is, well, of course Batman's riding a pterodactyl. If anybody's going to be riding a pterodactyl, it's going to be Batman. <laughs> you don't even have to do it as this sort yeah. of fun mashup internet culture where we want to have awesome things, do awesome things, and chocolate and peanut butter them together. No, Batman doesn't need to go to fan fiction to do stuff like that. <laughs> and it never feels out of place. Well, does it does it does it strike you that considering that Batman is such an old character that over the last you know what when did Bob Kane stop making Batman fifties sixties not even that long I'm sure uh, probably the forties yeah, you could make an argument that he made Batman at all oh, but, of course yeah but uh, uh, but I mean how many but basically how many years since has other writers just been doing Batman fan fiction in the form of 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 legit published mm. DC stories. You know what I mean? Like, it's sort of that... Him and Superman are sort of on that level where there are just so many goddamn permutations of them that, of course, the silliest, the craziest, mm. the most way out their stuff has been done and it can be self-consistent in the way that comic books don't need any real overarching consistency in their universes, right? But it's more possible to, it's more possible to do with Batman. Like, even if you take a character like Superman who's been around for that long... Or even if you take like an older character like Tarzan or whatever, you can't sort of move them back and forth. Like if you put Batman into a story where he's uh, working with the French Resistance in World War Two, going behind enemy lines, and I'd like to, I'd you know, like to read uh, that one. I'd like to read that. Doing like <laughs> where eagles dare sort of stuff that works. If you have Batman going into the Bermuda Triangle and winding up on an island full of dinosaurs, <laughs> that works. <laughs> but um, if you have Batman as this sort of, you know, goofy, really serious character, you know, who's surrounded by a world of, you know, macabre absurdity, that also works. But, you know, you can't do the same thing with, with, with Superman. You can't have him, you can't put Superman into a, a straight up murder mystery. You can't put James Bond into a into a ghost story. Hmm. Um, I would totally you know, read a James Bond you ghost can't story. Put... <laughs> he, he has created a lot of ghosts. <laughs> I, I think you're absolutely right, Paul. Um, there is a great example. There is an episode of the cartoon series Batman Brave and the Bold where they would have the pre-credits you know, sequence that would have nothing to do with the main plot of the story, but it would be a fun three-minute mini-story starring Batman. And there is one of them where he is in World War One with no explanation in a bat biplane fighting aliens alongside enemy Ace, who's another DC war character. And at the end, Batman just flies away and this portal opens up in the sky and he's apparently going back to his own time. And it just ends that. And it's like, well, fuck it. I don't need to explain that because he's Batman. He, must he, have... has, he has a Poochie the Rockin' Dog moment. My people need me. And then the sill just shifts <laughs> upwards and then he goes back. Oh, And no that's... one would question it. That's, that's what I love. So, Casey, I know that uh, Joe, Paul, and I are the hardcore nerds. We are the lifers. We are the folks that have drowned ourselves or at least been privy to and adjacent to Batman our entire lives. Mm -hmm. So you've probably injected more Batman into your carotid artery in the past <laughs> month yeah. than at any other time in your life. So what do you think about the character now after just gorging yourself on Batman? And did anything surprise you? Uh, 
I think the thing that really surprised me is so I found a source online where I could uh, read the original Batman series, not Detective Comics, but the one that started in like mid nineteen forty. Um, the first appearance of Joker is, is oh Batman number one, I think. Yeah, number mm. one, and yep. and uh, I read quite a few of those. Um, what I found that was interesting is I was a huge Dick Tracy fan in the nineties because of the movies. Mm. Um, Batman at the very beginning looks so much like Dick Tracy. It almost follows mm. beat for beat the things that you would do have in a Dick like, in a Dick Tracy story. There's like his regular life going on and then the police need him for some reason and there's a criminal with some wacky way of killing people and there's you know he's going to run out of time and Batman needs to come solve a mystery usually with a gadget that sounds really way far out for 1940 you know like and probably not you could buy on eBay now um and then he solves the mystery at the end you know usually without much of a scratch it looks it's drawn it sounds like and except for the whole bat identity thing, so much like a Dick Tracy detective story that I was like, oh, now I'm starting to get this. As you move forward, like, as I started reading stuff from the, was his, is his name Denny O'Neill? Yeah. Was his name? Like, some of that mm. stuff is actually really interesting because you can see where it bridges the gap between um, the kind of super goofy shit that you would have expected that came before and after Adam West and the more crazy shit that happens in the 80s after Dark Knight. You can see how he starts to meld... Batman into a character that is can still be goofy but also is serious and fun and expands him in lots of crazy ways like the Ra's al Ghul stuff was awesome mm. it was really quite cool actually to mm. see the origin of that character oh, so yeah. I, I had a lot of fun it doesn't take I was reading is the, so I think it was Grant Morrison was it who did a f- run on and off mm. of Batman where he was doing all sorts of crazy things with the character and bending time and shit and it really reinforced the thing that I hate about um, comic books that makes me really shy away from the big Marvel DC sort of things is that I I can't drop myself in the middle of decades long continuity and have all these side characters and all these changes to these villains that I know nothing about that they're referencing to keep the fans happy and there's like there was so much of that shit that I just had to like stop reading the trade I was like I don't care you can't make me care about this this mm. this character because he's in the middle of shit that I don't understand mm. and um, fortunately Batman has a lot of good you know, Elseworlds, alt-universe style one-off stuff. Um, like I was reading mm. Paul Pope's Batman Year 100, which I thought was really fucking good. It was oh, really yeah. good Batman stuff that I can just start mm. from the beginning and be like, I liked it. I don't need to go read 50 years of back issues, you know. Well, and mm. Grant Morrison, that's that's kind of his hallmark is kind of looking at a character and then deconstructing them and getting very much into the meta aspects. And that that can be... A lot for somebody that hasn't read or isn't aware of fifty years of continuity. Yeah, because mm. and and I mean I just that's always that's you know whether or not somebody is into Grant Morrison stories is always if you can tell okay you're ready for like the heart it's like getting into your first like um, Antonioni film or something like that where you're like <laughs> oh you like that okay you're ready for like the crazy shit now like if you can read anything by Grant Morrison and you're like wow I really like that it's like okay. It's time for you to look at these comics over here now. I like that we're setting this up kind of like Scientology. (laughs) Yeah, no, it it very much is. They tell you if you read these books. There's a level of Grant Morrison that if you read too early will make your brain explode. Well, you should not. like The first thing that – nobody should ever make the first thing they read by Grant Morrison. That's just the worst idea ever. But Uh, once you get to a certain point – Good point taken. But I will say that to wrap up your question, Mike – 
Um, I got. I, I definitely have a much broader and much more interested, much more interested in the character than after sort of the what happened to Batman from Michael Keaton to Joel Schumacher to Christopher Nolan, mm. which I think is what how most most people ex- have experienced the character of Batman, and with, with some side side flavor by Adam West, um, because mm. after fucking. Michael Keaton left it. I was really not all that interested in Batman as a character anymore. So, yeah. So, uh, Paul, I want to get into something that I've heard you say before in conversation, really about every superhero, mm. but I think it applies to Batman much more specifically, which is that yep. there. you said there is only one story you need to tell about Batman, and that story is Batman is awesome. Uh, so, again, this is a character that breaks the normal rules of the suspension of disbelief, and you know, the reaction you have to him doing bizarre things is, well, of course he is. And I've actually seen this as a sentence on the internet because Batman, that I think there was yeah. a web web comic that somebody did where Batman is just in space with a Green Lantern and he doesn't have a space helmet on. <laughs> and he's like, oh my god, Batman, you can breathe in space. He just goes, I'm Batman. <laughs> yeah, and that's the whole explanation and it just ends the argument right there. So, I've got to... Kind of like, uh, kind of like Denny Crane, you know. It's like, <laughs> well, your how name... can you do this, Denny Crane? <laughs> I'm Denny Crane. <laughs> it's just it becomes an exclamation that just means anything. Yep. So I just want to get into, in the time that you guys have prepped for this, or even in the years that you've read Batman stories, what is the coolest thing you've ever seen Batman do? <sighs> oh man, that's a tough um, one. Not a small there list. Is one. There is one particular scene that, um, it's not the coolest thing, but it's just this one scene that appeals to me so much because it's something that I love. I love it when Batman does this and he doesn't do it so much anymore is, uh, in Brave and the Bold issue 200, which was the last issue of Brave and the Bold. Um, they had a story where Batman teamed up with, the golden age Batman sort of where basically there was a villain who started out in the forties and went to a coma, came out of it. It was in the modern era and he sort of went, I'm going to get revenge on Batman for all the evil shit he's done to me. So he comes after Batman and he's going, yes, at last we meet again. And Batman's like, I I have no idea who the fuck you are. (laughs) But at one point he puts Batman into a, um, into a death trap. And he's got the death trap completely sorted so that Batman cannot escape out of it. He's taken his utility belt. He's taken everything. And essentially what happens is Batman looks around and goes, okay, here's the death trap. There's this room. It's going to fill with... Uh, it's going to heat up and it's going to fill with this molten um, magma and kill me. And he looks around and does like this little chemistry experiment where he, he, you know, figures out that the walls are made of this stuff and I can use some of that and I can use this and I can get the heat from here and I can get some shavings of metal from this thing and put it together. And he constructs a a rudimentary bomb, (laughs) which allows him to get out of the death trap. And it's one of the things I, 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 when he does this, I love it because there's been this thing lately of because Batman where he doesn't have to try anymore. He's kind of like, Oh, I just happened to 
unpack this friggin' thing here, which will allow me to get out of it, you know, in in no time or. And I kind of like it when he has to work at it. I kind of like when they emphasize the fact that he is clever and resourceful rather than he's the guy who's just prepared for everything. Yeah, I like that too. He kind of Walter White's it a lot in those older ones where he has a mm. sciency explanation, like you said, and he gets to be mm. smart. It's not just about him being stronger or faster, but that he mm. has a brain too. And I like Batman being really smart. Um, uh, one of the things, and to to answer your question, what mine would be is the showdown between Batman and Superman in Dark Knight Returns, right? Because Mm. Batman can't beat Superman. He just can't. He's not able to. But Mm. what he can do is have a contingency plan where where he has... It's Green Arrow, right? The retired Green Arrow with a kryptonite arrowhead. Um, he, He... Batman is so awesome that he can have the contingency to beat the guy who's totally unbeatable. Not because Batman has a gadget that can do it but he can beat him because he's because he's arranged it beforehand because he he can plan out those contingencies that his natural abilities uh don't allow him to do well this is this is interesting to me because it plays into something i was thinking of um there's a moment in hush where poison ivy has taken over superman and batman pretty much batman's his way out of it right and afterwards superman's like how did you know that I wouldn't, I could have killed you easily. Like, how did you know I wouldn't? And Batman goes, because I know you. Mm. And I think the Dark Knight, I think what, and we'll talk about this later, I'm sure, because we're probably going to talk about Dark Knight. Oh, yeah. Um, I think what a lot of people miss about that is that Batman isn't just setting up a scenario where he's going to kick the shit out of Superman. Batman is counting on the fact that Superman is not going to kill him. Mm-hmm. But Batman mm. is counting on the fact that they have years of, fr- decades of friendship at this point. And that he knows he's playing Superman at that point. Mm. Um, I like that stuff, too. And I think for me, my favorite Batman stuff is when things are difficult for Batman. And I think that when Batman is created as this guy who is literally the most capable human being that has ever existed, you run a real danger in wanting to show off how badass he is in making mm. things too easy for him. That... It's a lot more exciting when he has to really work for that victory. And a lot of my favorite stories are about him near the beginning of his career. And there was one example in a couple of miniseries that he did by Matt Wagner called Mm. Batman the Dark Moon Rising series, I think, that they did. I've always been hoping he'd make a third one, but it's probably not going to happen at this point. But the first miniseries that he did was called Batman and the Monster Men, Mm -hmm. where he does battle with... Hugo Strange, who's like an evil scientist guy, who has been basically kidnapping people and turning them into these huge hulked out monsters. And when Batman eventually comes onto this guy's plans, he gets trapped in a room by the scientist with three of these monsters. And right off the middle of the fight, he gets grabbed, his belt gets destroyed before he can use any gadgets. And he has to battle his way to fight these people that he cannot defeat in a room that he cannot escape using only a pair of handcuffs and the chains that are hanging off of these monsters. So he handcuffs the chains to the grate on the floor and then wraps them around the head of one of the monsters on his back and uses the monster's own strength to rip the door open. He escapes and he's tattered. His cape is gone. He's missing a glove. He's missing a boot. And he falls into the sewers, basically bleeding to death. That he barely survives. And it does it with non-offensive weaponry. He doesn't have a bat bomb. He doesn't have a bat freeze ray 
He doesn't have the bat ice skates that he had in Batman and Robin. <laughs> he just has the standard gear in those first ones. It's just smoke bombs, maybe a small laser cutter you can cut through a lock, a couple bat shuriken. But for the most part, he's kind of pretty much, you know, just, uh, what is it, the Doctor Who says it, just saving the universe with a bit of kettle and string, you know? He's kind of doing it that way. And I kind of like when Batman has to be clever with not as much stuff, not with the high-tech science fiction gear that he sometimes gets in later stories. Mm. If I can interrupt, I actually did remember one scene which I would say is Batman at his most awesome. Uh, and it's from a three-part run of Detective Comics. And it's basically one of those one of those moments, uh, and I'm going to make the mistake, It's there's a guy called Dave, and he runs a com- he runs a, uh, a blog called Dave's Long Box, and I can't remember what his last name is. And it's what he calls the fuck yeah moment. And there's a, a three-part run in Detective Comics where there is a, an artist doing a, a comic strip about Batman. It's an unauthorized Batman comic. And some vigilante has been reading this comic and has decided that, that he's, he's going to clean up the, the criminal scum of, of Gotham City. And so he's become a serial killer murdering people. And the climactic scene is this bit where there's this couple in a, in a park and it's getting late and they're heading home and this guy lunges at them out from out of the bushes and it's this madman with a knife and, and they look at him and they go, who are you? And he's got the bat symbol in face paint on his face. And he goes, you know, I'm Batman. And this voice from above just goes, wrong. <laughs> he looks up and there's the silhouette. I'm Batman. <laughs> and I lost my shit. I, it's one of those things I had to put the comic down and walk around for a bit. You know, it, you know it's just... Oh yeah, that's that's the, the the sweet spot there where you just go ah fuck yeah someone's <laughs> gonna get the shit kicked out of them. I, I think I think but, like yeah. in that in the uh, the Monster Men the Matt Wagner one I think there's a moment I think it's this one there's a moment uh, it's kind of the end of one issue and the beginning of the next issue that um, he's not just fighting Hugo Strange's creatures. The Gotham City PD is mm. after him, and like the fucking SWAT team is after him. And there's a point in time when he's kind of trapped in a building, and there's an entire armed SWAT team who's basically like kill Batman on sight. And you see, uh, so they sort of enter the building that that wounded Batman is in, and the image mm. that's either the end page of the last book or the the one of the first pages of the next one is basically these guys with SWAT teams with like night gear on, like six of them facing the panel. And then right behind them is Batman with his head poking up, and you know, you like he's got the fucking drop on yeah, these guys. Totally. These guys have automatic yeah. weapons; they could they they would be able to kill him. But Batman has the fucking drop on these fools. I know that one. That's uh, Batman Year One. Oh, it's Year One. Oh, it's yeah, Year One. It's incredible. Okay. Um, yes. And They're what very I love, similar. Yeah. what I love about that is that there are like twenty of those guys. Yeah. They're in armor. Mm. They're highly trained. They have semi-automatic rifles. They have by all stretch of the imagination the advantage but when you just see that little silhouette you're like no 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 no, <laughs> no. no. that man he it's like they yep. don't stand a chance and that's yep. the feeling you get and you don't get that feeling with almost any other character where you just have to see that head and shoulders with the bad ears and it's over and mm. was, i love was that about one before or after dark knight returns 
It was after. It was after. after. Okay. It was okay. actually the follow-up mm. to Dark Knight Returns. The Dark Knight Returns was Frank Miller doing the last Batman story. Right. And he followed it up by doing the first Batman okay. story. Okay, right on. Right on. So I was actually mm. kind of curious, Casey, because I know that the trope that I know you love more than almost anything else is defenestration. <laughs> yes. And yes. there is no yes. character in fiction that I can think of that crashes through more windows than Batman. Yeah, and he does it, he does it very stylishly, mm. too. I can remember that being the part that uh, that I saw on TV about the scene with Jack Nicholson in the art gallery. And they played that endlessly for mm. Batman 89. Yes, he, he not only enters through a window, but he usually does it and scares the shit out of people. <laughs> no, it's great when it's mm. great when defenestration isn't used to dispatch a bad guy. It's great when it's used to make an entrance as well. And he yeah. does it mm. all the time. Why does a bad guy in a Batman comic ever have a fucking skylight? <laughs> like, <laughs> ever. Why would you play cards underneath it? It's that whole Art Deco thing that Gotham's got going on. You gotta have skylights. And now, I don't want to blame the victim or anything, but when you're a henchman playing cards under a skylight in Gotham City, you are just asking for it. Well, I mean, you might as well ask, if you were a goon in Gotham, why would you ever take a job at the docks or at a warehouse? <laughs> or it's just like... Yeah. Anywhere where it's dark. Where the they got to start importing them from other places because nobody, no goon in Gotham wants anything. They're like, oh, this guy, the Joker's hired. No, no, no. And Batman. You don't want- <laughs> Batman. They're just going to go and work for this guy that nobody knows. I'm just going to work for like a crooked banker or something. Yeah, that's the way that's to go. That's a pretty safe job comparatively. Mm. And it's certainly, you know, I don't want to be the guy at the card table who refuses to believe in Batman. Who's <laughs> just like, yeah, yep. oh, you guys are nothing. That's just a bunch of blah, blah, blah that the cops made up. Because you're the first guy that gets yanked that's into the, the shadows. It's the Batman equivalent of a red yep. shirt. It's yes. the guy that doesn't yes. believe yes. in yep. Batman. Yeah. Oh, my God. So... But you, I'm, you know what I would do if Batman was here. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think that, that kind of reminds me. There's there's one if you could, you could easily find it on YouTube. These it's the smartest uh, the smartest goon ever in Batman animated series. And basically, Batman is is sort of uh, he's it's B and E Batman. He's broken in and looking for something, and a goon opens the door to check and see who's in there. He sees Batman, turns right back around and closes the door. Because he's like, I'm not fucking doing this. I love that. I love that (laughs) they have those moments where you're like, okay, well, you know you've seen these stories. There's got to be somebody who doesn't go, get him! Or pull a gun on him. It's it's funny. My favorite Batman moment is actually from TAS. It's from the animated series, and it's the Mm. episode... um, God, and of course the, the, the episode name leaves me, but it's Bruce Wayne and all this shit has changed in his life and he can't figure out why. And it's him putting together why his life is all of a sudden perfect or it's not perfect. Somebody else is the Batman and he knows he's supposed to be Batman and he can't figure out what the hell is going on. And it's him slowly piecing together what is happening and, and, Mm. and watching that whole thing is just fan-fucking-tastic, because he just he slowly but surely builds to like the conclusion, and then he figures it out. And it's basically that. I think it's um, the Mad Hatter has has gotten him, and he, you know, he figures it out, and he he does his whole thing, and it's great. But I think, I agree with what Paul said. I think there's a tendency, and I I blame Grant Morrison for this completely, the Bat God. He's got a Bat filing cabinet, and He's got all these bat files about how to beat everybody. And it's a little bit Mark Wade's fault, too, because of Tower of Babel. But yeah. that was started, I mm. think, very firmly with Grant Morrison, where it's like, there's a 10 million year old 
Amazon war god handing to us from the ends of space. What should we do? And Superman's like, oh, shit, I don't know. And he, he's like, Batman, we need you. And he's like, Gotham needs me. But uh, do this. I, I researched it once for my thesis in college. <laughs> and it's like, you're like, oh, okay, we'll do that. That's great. And it's like, no, that's, that's, not, that's not interesting. Mm. I think, Batman, you have to give him something to overcome. Yeah. I think yep. the whole Batman has become very much like Wolverine in the early 90s where they were like, Wolverine could beat everybody. Wolverine could beat Lobo. And I'm like, Lobo mm. fights Superman. Yeah. Wolverine drunk. couldn't even fight the Hulk. Lobo fights Superman mm. drunk and beats him. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> yeah. like this is not this is not going to. I think Wizard Magazine said mm. it doesn't matter if it's no if it's like yellow and brown Wolverine or Wolverine with a potato peeler hanging out of his butt. <laughs> no, that does not happen to him. The whole Batman mm. wins thing is while funny when you know, like I have this great somebody did this great picture of Batman standing on like a church spire and Galactus is like looming ahead of him. It's great fan fiction, but what is he going to overcome? It doesn't know? create drama. Mm. Yeah, mean, exactly. It doesn't do anyone good yeah. if Batman is just a walking game genie. Yeah. <laughs> one, like, one of my favorite Batman stories is from, it's from the early, the first year of Legends of the Dark Knight. It's Venom, which is the origin of that, mm. the drug that mm. Bane would go on to use. And it starts with him failing. He's, this, this child has been kidnapped, and he's not strong enough to lift the boulder he needs to to get. And the kid drowns. And that is that mm. wrecks him. And then he becomes addicted to venom. And then he's got to go in the bat cave for like two months and grow a bitchin' beard. <laughs> and then he's got to shave the beard and go to Santa Prisca and kick everybody's ass. But he mm. doesn't do that unless he fails first. And that's when he is most interesting to me is when you're watching him overcome. Hmm. Absolutely. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with more Batman. We are back on Radio vs. the Martian. We are talking about the Dark Knight detective, Batman. You gotta say it like that. You gotta, Batman. You, Batman. you, gotta, you say it like my two and a half year old says, Batman. Batman. Even he, he doesn't even understand the character and he knows how to say it properly. It's gotta be dramatic. <laughs> it's, it's not only that. I know that Joe earlier you said uh, Batman. He Batmaned his way out of it. It's a verb. No, no, it, it is. <laughs> even when it's a noun in the sentence, it's a verb. So I want to get into something that. I think might even be particular to Batman, and that's the setting of Gotham City. Oh, yeah. I think mm. Gotham City is just as much a main character of the Batman stories as Batman himself. And maybe even more so, because, I mean, DC Comics has so many fictional cities. I mean, it's the one thing I think kind of sets them apart from Marvel Comics, which everyone is in fucking Manhattan. But... With yep. well, except for Daredevil, who's in the shitty part of the city, but with Batman, um, he's probably got the best fictional city that I yeah. can think of. He's my favorite. Is that Gotham City feels like something, but Metropolis isn't a place that if you take Superman out of it, isn't a story unto itself. Gotham mm. City is, and you can see it in all the different interpretations. I mean, there's just damp pavement and narrow alleyways and gargoyles and Art Deco towers and. These high-class mm. charity balls that are always getting crashed by the Joker. I mean, why even hold mm. one? I mean, really. And you have these goons just packing into warehouses playing cards under the skylight again. <laughs> and mm. it just it is just a place where stories happen. I mean, corrupt cops, crooked politicians, people are always crashing through your windows and punching you and dangling you from mm. a rope. 
Um, I mean, it is just an awesome fucking place. And hmm. I got to say, am I exaggerating if I call Gotham City the best fictional city that has ever been written? Uh, I don't necessarily it's agree It's one of the that. richest. It's definitely one of the richest uh, cities in terms of story. Uh, I don't know. I, I I don't know. Like, if I say it's not the best, you'll you'll say, well, what is? And I can't think of one that is. But you know, um, it's definitely one of the richest. I think um, Reno is the best. I, I, not, <laughs> they'll try to tell you that travel bureau that it's real, but that's all bullshit, my friend. <laughs> Anyways, I'm sorry, no, Paul. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's it's almost like it's the dream of a city. Like it 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 has its own internal logic. It has its own. Um, it has its own kind of way of doing things and you can get away with almost anything and it, it can feel right. Like if you have criminals in what is ostensibly the modern day wearing black pinstripe suits and snap brim hats, it, it kind of works still. Um, even though, you know, their style is 60 years out of date. Um, yeah, it's more tracksuits these days. <laughs> I thought we were talking yeah, about Batman, not Hawkeye. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, sorry, Paul. You can have the skylights. You can have the the weird expos with the giant prop devices that work, and you can have the the weird gothic lunatic asylum outside town and you can have all of these things and they all kind of work because Gotham City operates not on science-based logic but on story-based logic yeah hmm. you know I, I think I heard this from you Mike is it is it the case that Gotham was based on Baltimore as a real city I right? don't know what it was based on. I think obviously New York part of is... it. New York and Chicago was always mm. my understanding. Mm. Yeah, it's like but they, of... but they don't. But New York exists as a place even in DC universe. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm. So Metropolis and and Gotham are just grafted onto the existing whatever United States is. Correct. Yeah, okay. I I've seen there's like a DC role playing game supplement that actually had a map that put them in places, and I think they put Gotham City in New Jersey. And oh, I New think Jersey makes okay. super sense. Yeah. <laughs> I think Metropolis is in Delaware, but that's just weird. <laughs> there was a um a miniseries where the Justice League, you know, meets the Avengers of Marvel, and the mm. Avengers actually teleport from one universe to the other, and they go from Metropolis to a field. I remember that. So it just doesn't exist in their universe. That's interesting. Yeah. And uh, but with Gotham, I think that Gotham and Metropolis both represents different parts of New York. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. all the shiny touristy spots are the ones that you see Superman in, but all the really grimy mm-hmm. neighborhoods you don't want to walk through, and you lock your doors, and you hear gunshots is just sort of an ambient soundtrack. That's Batman's mm-hmm. part of town. Yeah, that and that that's one of the that's one of the things that actually bothers me a little bit about. If there's one thing that bothers me about Gotham as a setting for a place, it's that. Um, it sort of is like a place that holds hostage the people who live there constantly. So why would anyone live there? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like it, it feels like a terrible place to live. And if if Metropolis is another place that you could live, and assuming many other places in America that you can live, why would you choose to be in Gotham if it's so terrible? I imagine it's it's <laughs> and the poverty. weather seems bad too. Yeah, it's shitty all around. <laughs> 
And I think have you seen l- the Rent Metropolis? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's how you live in Gotham. Yeah, you get the big, bright, shiny superhero to save you, and you're not going to have people yeah. that live in. Dra- you know, when you have a criminal in Gotham City, it's a crazy person that gets locked up in Dracula's castle at the end. <laughs> but I think the reason that people live in in Gotham really kind of comes down to poverty. Because there is some serious wealth disparity that you see in Gotham than in no other thing. What are the locations that you see? Shitty, cramped alleyways and tenement buildings and high-class charity galas. Right. Those are the two sides of Gotham City that you see on a regular basis. There really is no suburbs of Gotham. There really... I'm sorry. (laughs) It's just like, it's all, it's weird because for as good as Batman is at everyone, his hometown is a shithole and I wonder how much worse could it be? (laughs) There are, there are definitely, there are, I think there are suburbs in Gotham. They just don't, there's no buildings for him to swing off of, so he doesn't go there a lot. (laughs) You gotta follow Batman, right? I, I mean, I, Gotham is, and Metropolis, I think are both very mythical places because you also have places Mm. like, Keystone City and mm. Star City and Coast City and blah blah blah, mm. and but those, those mm. just got progressively less interesting names for cities. Well, you know, <laughs> like one of them is the Flash's home right. base, and then one of them is. No, I'm Green saying, Lantern. but by the time you get to Coast City, it's that's just super boring. Yeah, thing to like, name a city. <laughs> what should we name this city after? Well, there's a beach over there. Coast <laughs> City. That's it. We got it. I, I think the Adam lives in Hub City. Yeah, there's there's <laughs> a bunch of city. weird shit, but. I think actually the question lives in Hub City and the oh. Atom lives in Ivy Town. Oh yes. my God! Everyone is a fake city. I know. <laughs> Thank you for saving me from an email, though, Paul. <laughs> but I, I no worries. I, I I was trying not to, and I'm just it's sitting in the back of my brain, just going. <laughs> yeah, no, I've got to say it. Yeah, no, it's okay. Should, I'll own it. it. I'll own it. Because it's about the question, and the question is awesome. Oh yeah. So, so um, good. Now Hub City, that's a shithole. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, they can't even afford Batman. They get the question. Oh. Um, no, the question is awesome. That's true. Um, mm. But I think Gotham is interesting to me because, and this is this is a weird thing where you get into, I think people have written more stories that I think are Gotham-centric than they've written stories that are Metropolis-centric. Yeah. Um, mm. Oh God! What's I'm totally spacing on his name right now. It's called. It's a. It was a collection called City of Crime, and it was a. Um, there was an indie writer, and of course, I'm spacing on his name right now. I'll think about it while we're talking, but um, mm. that's very much a, a story of Gotham. It's not just the story of Batman, but it's a story of Batman in mm. Gotham, and it's about the way Gotham works. And I think that's. I think that's really interesting. I don't think that story works mm. as well. I don't think year one works as well if Gotham isn't doesn't have the presence that it does mm. because that's such mm. a Gotham-centric story. Um, I mean, you had a whole series, GCPD, that was based on... It was a Batman book with no mm. Batman in it. Yeah. That was great. It was that, an awesome series. Everybody so, should have been phenomenal. reading. And um, so I, I think that... I don't know that it's the best place because you're... I think... If you run into a Superman villain, you have a better chance of surviving because they're much less into mass murder than a lot of Batman <laughs> villains are. You're going to get a closed casket funeral like, if you're killed yeah, by a Batman villain. Yeah, yeah. It's, Nobody it's wants that, bad. that scary you know, grin. You're, you're like, like talking with your friend and then all of a sudden they get shot and somebody else is like, what happened? And you're like, I don't know, but it was like a clown in a car and he had Robin tied up and it was a station wagon that he'd stolen and it's Christmas Eve and oh my God, that's awful. That stuff doesn't really happen as much in, in Metropolis, really. I don't think it's more like, oh, an asteroid fell out and destroyed this whole building. Um, 
but it was empty because of Superman. Yeah. You're a lot less likely to get acid thrown in your face yeah. if you live yeah, exactly. in Metropolis than in Gotham City. But I guess the question of why the hell would anyone live in this crazy place, Casey, there was a great line in the Tim Burton Batman movie, and it's actually something said by the Joker before he becomes the Joker. Maybe and, decent people shouldn't live here. Yeah. They'd be happier someplace else. <laughs> yeah. I love that line so much. It's just like, he kind of treats it like it's criminal Vegas. Yes. Where he's just like, I'm sorry, you're going to see grown-up shit if you live here. Stop complaining. Well, and I think Gotham mm. is also... Batman is, at his roots, a psychological character, at least in the in the modern age. And I think, mm. like most of his villains, his city reflects that, too. Like, Gotham is a place mm. with dark secrets. Gotham is a place that will shine down love and warmth on you one second and then just be the coldest most frigid awful bitch you can imagine the next <laughs> and that's just that's i think in keeping with that's the city that batman needs you know i always i always love the stories where superman's in gotham or batman's in metropolis because they both look so out of place mm-hmm. you want it's mm. like the the jim lee posters where he's got superman one knee up on the eagle on top of a building and he's like doing the superhero pose and he's looking and then batman's up on a building at night with his foot up on a gargoyle, and they, like, look at each other. Yeah. Like, that, to me, is just so mm. representative of that. Like, you wouldn't want that the other way. You don't want to see Superman at night with his foot up on a gargoyle. <laughs> it's just weird. Yeah, pay attention, Zack Snyder. Yeah, and, like, everybody, and everybody gets really, like, all the, I love how all the villains in Gotham get really upset when Superman shows up, because... <laughs> it's unfair. It's not, yeah, it's, it's just, like, yeah, and that's exactly what they say. It's like, how are you supposed to beat a guy like that? <laughs> Because Batman has to track them down. Superman is just like, uh, okay, their radio says they're over there. Let's go and get them. <laughs> and so I, I love that shit. I think it's great. And I, uh, but I think Gotham. I would never live there. No, but it's it's an interesting place to read about. <laughs> I'm gonna get into, and I think we're kind of following this discussion a little bit, touching on this very mm. issue, which is that there has been a trend since about the mid 1970s to darken Batman. And it's not just a costume, which we've seen kind of go from bright blue and gray to gray and black and sometimes even all black. But it's also been the tone of the stories. I mean, they've gotten progressively more sophisticated in the storytelling, but they've also gotten a lot more violent. And the character himself has gotten angry and more more paranoid over the years. And I think that the real juggernaut of dark Batman stories is The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. So, the Dark Knight Returns, if you don't know, is a miniseries that DC put out in 1986 that had a huge impact on comic books, and especially the character of Batman and how he's portrayed. It's a story about a 50-something Batman who has been retired for 10 years or so. He's grown a sadness mustache. <laughs> and Gotham has gone to shit. Even by Gotham standards, he's gone to shit. And it's being terrorized by this, like, Mad Max-style gang called the Mutants, who all have, like, sometimes, like, crazy... It looks like spikes that are embedded in their heads, Mm -hmm. and they scream, and they love nothing but murder. They're basically the gang that's chasing them in Fury Road. That's basically who's operating in a major city. And Batman comes out of retirement and just kicks the shit out of these guys and ends up getting into battles with the U.S. government and the police and eventually Superman. So people have a tendency to put this story on the pedestal alongside Watchmen as one of the greatest uh, comic book stories of all time. It's like a pinnacle of what the medium can be. And 
I have a lot to say about this story. I actually reread it for the first time in well over a decade. Me too. I was going off of memory for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I was actually really glad that I got a chance to read this again. And I have, like I said, I am bottled full of things to say about it. But what do you guys think about The Dark Knight Returns? Does it deserve the sterling reputation that it has? And more <laughs> importantly, has it been good for the character of Batman? I think Dark Knight Returns hasn't traveled as well as Watchmen. And I think one of the problems... And I think uh, you get into these arguments online where people go, I hate Dark Knight Returns and I hate Watchmen because of all the shit that came afterwards. And I don't think it's fair to to kind of put that on the original creations. Um, I think Dark Knight Returns works because it's chiefly allegorical and as you said before it's it's mythical it, you, you're not meant to take it as uh you're not meant to take the dark knight returns as a, a a real any kind of realistic story it's it's symbolism and allegory and and stuff like that i mean you look at it now and you go okay what's the big menace that batman has come out of retirement what is the thing that's so terrible that Batman has gone, no, I need to come out of retirement and, and stop it. It's basically a bunch of rowdy teenagers who don't even have guns for the most part. But, so yeah, Dark Knight Returns, I think, is, is, this, is a lovely allegory, and it's got this wonderful poetry to it. Um, and what Frank Miller was trying to do was, was do the last story, the, the Robin Hood shooting the bow out the wind, the arrow at the window and where this arrow lands or King Arthur going across the lake. And he was trying to do that and it, it achieves that well. But I think a lot of people since then have kind of gone, no, this needs to be taken as a, a serious narrative as part of a larger tapestry of stories. If that makes any sense. Yeah, I guess um, I can say this about uh, The Dark Knight Returns, and I think it's an incredibly well-crafted story. As Mm. far as graphic storytelling goes, I think that the method of having people appear in the media to create the tone of Gotham City Mm. was at the time incredibly novel, and it wasn't something that had been done. Mm. It's in movies all over the place now. So you say that, and Mm. um, for my birthday a few years back, my brother got me Howard Chaikin's American Flag, um, which is... Uh. You you guys haven't read it. I'm I'm guessing from the sound of it, Paul, that you have read it. Um, I think that um, there was some cross-pollination there between the sort of the media-saturated, creating the reality based on uh, the talking heads that's going on, and that ruling... That basically ruling, ruling the entire flavor... That that presence of Talking Head says this happens. We're doing this for ratings. Like, oh my God, this. Uh, uh, what does this person say? I think that is that he borrowed. I think from also that the way they visually portray the 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 panels themselves of the screens on the page. Oh yeah, sh- uh, so much from Howard Jenkins' American Flag. I can see a lot of that. Yeah. I, I definitely think. So. I mean, obviously, comics, especially in a medium uh, as small as comics, oh, yeah. cannot help but draw from each other. But I think that the the scene where Batman finally unleashes himself, because a lot of the times you see the aftermath of Batman hitting, like, a gang attack or mm. seeing, like, uh, muggers that were stopped by Batman. And obviously now that he's old and grizzled and he's kind of turned into Liam Neeson of the modern era, <laughs> where he's angry, mm. angry dad, um, he's mm. a lot more violent and he's starting to break kids' spines and stuff. Um 
he's he, he doesn't unveil himself fully, and the buildup is so well done so that when he finally shows mm. up, he takes up most of the page. Mm. It's incredibly mm. well done. Yeah. I think that it's an incredibly mm. engaging and um, exciting story. I think that it does a great job of do it, telling an adult Batman story. But mm. for me, a lot of the other stuff, and maybe I'm just projecting because... I know the sort of attitudes and social views that Frank Miller has taken on in recent years, especially post 9-11, where he's kind of like, he's kind of like the uncle that ruins Thanksgiving, if I was to put it a certain way. (laughs) Um, I can't help but see elements of those in Dark Knight Returns in ways that I didn't when I read it when I was like 20. Mm. And I'm much more aware of... It feels a bit more like falling down. It feels actually, you know what it reminds me of in terms of the tone and the the message sort of behind it. And I don't know if it's aspirational. I don't know if it's satirical, but it reminds me of the speech at the end of A Few Good Men, the Jack Nicholson, mm. Colonel Nathan Jessup mm. speech, mm-hmm. where the greatest sin in The Dark Knight Returns seems to be this sort of weakness and liberalism and giving people even an inch of sympathy. Uh, if they're wrongdoers, mm. and that what we need to do is you need to just stand back and not question the methods of somebody who's willing to do the things that keep you safe. Well, they certainly suggest that a lot by making it so everyone who are the 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 uh, rulers of Arkham Asylum are on this tick of, oh my God, like uh, the, uh, we can these can be cured, right? They can be released into society, and every single instance they go right back out and start killing again. You know, oh, like yeah. Batman mm. is the only solution. The reason you're seeing those elements is they are they are there. <laughs> yeah. I mean that's and that's mm. my problem. There's some and it's funny. The longer I go between reading this book, the more I tend to demonize it, and then I read it and I realize there is some fucking incredible stuff in Dark Knight Returns. There is mm. there are images in that book that are so striking that there's a reason they've become iconic. There's a reason this Batman against a, a lightning lit sky, kind of jumping across the night, the the skyline of Gotham. Mm. There's a reason that that is such an iconic Batman image, is because it's it's great. But there mm. is way too much of Frank Miller in Dark Knight Returns mm. to be comfortable. Mm. The sixteen up panels with the talking, the literal talking heads. Yeah, I mean that's just mm. come on, Frank. Even in an age where over um, where. Uh, over narration was a problem. You're going way over, like a nine up page. I would have been okay with that, but sixteen <laughs> up. You're going to make me read all this shit. There's a lot of text. just so that you can like. And I I agree that what he's trying to do is great, but what he ends up doing <laughs> is just kind of like shitting, like going off on these political diatribes that are like. What? what are, what's going on? It Frank, you lost us. Feels a little Ayn Randy. You know it, what I it mean? Is, it's yeah. very Ayn Randian. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's yeah. a lot of the youth are scaring me, therefore they have to be beaten down and then like built back up in the perfect image. But then mm. there's also these incredibly tender moments with Carrie Kelly and these mm. flashbacks to Robin and the one, the one Robin he lost, because this is the Batman that's just lost Jason Todd yeah. to the Joker, right? Mm-hmm. So this is this is building off of that. And and the death in the family. So this is a Batman that is known loss and and at a very deep level as Batman. And this is Batman's worst fear. I think mm-hmm. this is where a lot of the more interesting stories of the the modern age Batman come out of. But mm. it's it's just this book is so schizophrenic. It's yeah. so weird at times because so much of it I think is good, and I think a lot of good came out not just because 
of the things it did right, but because of the things it did wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I look at that and I look at the way that like the mayor is portrayed yeah. where he's so afraid of the gangs that he wants to negotiate with somebody. Right. And when he goes in to talk to him, the gang leader literally kills him with his teeth. Yeah. Uh, Gores him to death, and they go to the new deputy mayor, who's now mayor, is like, well, we're not turning down talking to this guy. You know, let's, let's wait to see what he has to say. And it's like, it's like the ultimate in the sort of death wish wet dream. So, of course, you need somebody who's willing to go out there and cripple teenagers. And not just, not just, right? But somebody who's going to take to the back of a fucking horse and ride into Gotham <laughs> yes. like it is the last reel of a fucking, like he is John Wayne himself. <laughs> and he is going to mm. save Gotham. Yeah. With uh. only his pluck and his determination and his iron goddamn will, right? Like, I fucking love mm. that. It's There's... that exceptional person sort of mythology. You mentioned Ayn Rand, and it right. really mm. plays into it. And right. you get in the dialogue every so often from Batman a sort of contempt for regular people who aren't willing to run out there and start punching muggers. <laughs> it's like you could have a good city if you were just fucking ruthless to yeah, strangers. Right? If you who... just got rid of everybody that just scared you or didn't do what you wanted them to do. Yeah, and how dare you question the way I give you that protection. You know, it doesn't matter that I threw a shuriken into the eyeball of that gang member <laughs> right, over there. Right. Yeah, right? And it's a little bit fucking crazy and to the point that it makes me a little uncomfortable and I didn't know if maybe the Frank Miller of 1986 meant this not seriously because the uh, Frank Miller of 2015 mm. does mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because at the same one you think okay this is kind of a crazy right-wing fantasy but then you look at the way Reagan is portrayed mm-hmm. in the book mm-hmm. and he's like this doddering mm. old fool who's wearing a literal USA flag print suit well yeah mm. and I think I, that's what's interesting I think Frank has always been I, Frank Miller's best work has always come when he's working with somebody else. Uh, I, mm-hmm. And that may be a polarizing statement, but I will fight for it until mm. the end. I think year one is vastly superior to Dark Knight Returns. I mm-hmm. think his Daredevil stuff that he did um, alone suffers because he can't self-edit. Yeah. I think there's a mm. lot that the Dark Knight could have been a lot better if somebody had been going... Frank, is that really a good idea? Does he really do we, need to be like a proto-fascist yeah, cult like, leader? Do we really need this, like, yeah, this, this patriarchal proto-fascist, like, putting kids in wheelchairs? Because they're kids, Frank. They're <laughs> and if, children. And if you can get up out of that wheelchair and you can carry a batarang, I want you on my yeah, side. Yeah, and so I, I, I definitely think it, it suffers for that. And I also, it's not fair to blame Frank Miller for this, but... Frank Miller is also responsible for the that whole Batman wins thing in, in a certain way because of that Superman scene. And mm. I think that's largely, and maybe this is just me, mm-hmm. I think that's largely mm. misread. I think it's fairly obvious mm. reading as an adult that Superman lets Batman win. Yeah. He clearly lets mm. him win. He's not trying. But, yeah. but, he, but Superman reads as a completely credulous numbskull in, that, in the story, mm. right? I mean, he is... He is completely and utterly loyal to the government of the United States. Some of it's uh, justified, right? Because he's averting nuclear annihilation. Well, he's right? he's basically works for them so that like superheroes get a pass. Hmm. But but I, I mean, just, but I mean, it's it is a corrupt government, right? It is yes, a corrupt government, yes. and he is their agent. Um, and insofar, even up to going to subdue and or kill Batman, someone who I think he at least before knew that he was necessary but even now probably he thinks yeah we need a batman you know and this is Mm. this is another weird thing and i'd be interested to hear what you guys think about it 
I thought that. I thought, oh, Frank Miller's just writing off Superman. But there's that whole fucking inner monologue that Superman gets when he is saving, basically stopping that missile from blowing up. That is very lovingly written, man. Mm. That's not that's mm. not bullshit. That's not fluff. Yeah. That is really that is a really interesting look into Superman's mindset. Where he doesn't mm. he is in a position that he doesn't want to be in, that he is doing that for something that he feels is the greater good. This the the, the partial sacrifice of himself to avert this 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 um the the missile going or the bomb going off. Like that is really good Superman writing. Yeah. And so it, mm. it definitely feels to me that – and it's hard for me to reconcile that, but it it feels like it's easy to, to, to read it and see and think that Miller is, is kind of making him this credulous idiot. But I think – I don't necessarily think that's what he's doing. I think he's – I think mm. Superman is doing what Superman does, which is the what, whatever he can to protect the people that are important to him. Mm. And then maybe that's just I'll you know maybe that's just my read maybe I'm giving Mr. Miller a little bit mm. more credit. I can see that. I can definitely back you up on that because the thing that separates them in an argument really in the three different times that they actually talk to each other is that Superman is an incredibly powerful person who doesn't want the world to be afraid of that power. That he wants people to trust him. He wants people to be happy when he shows up. Batman makes it clear mm. that he doesn't give a shit about how regular people feel. He just cares about the effectiveness of them not dying. Mm. And if they want to mm. hate him for that, that's fine. But they're alive to hate him. And he doesn't care if everybody is afraid of him and he's always alone. Because if it saves lives, then it's worth it. And that seems to be the real mm. difference. And I could see, because if you're Superman, you do have, and this is the thing Zack Snyder, again, I'm going to shit on him again, um, doesn't seem to understand, is that the use of that level of power... In an unrestrained mm. way, even if you're saying, well, I'm saving everybody, as we saw in Man of Steel, it's fucking terrifying. Mm -hmm. And mm. the fact that somebody like Superman, I mean, always his saving grace, the thing that makes Superman a role model is the fact that he is completely cognizant of that. And it is his primary focus that he wants to be somebody who, when he shows up, people are happy to see him. Batman wants that opposite mm. effect. He wants people to fucking scatter. Yes. Because mm. he's not bulletproof. So he can't afford to stick his chest out and make people trust him. His advantage is in that first 10 seconds. So I can see that difference of opinion on there. Hmm. But it kind of gets into what I want to end our main discussion on, which is that we're getting into a little bit of territory uh, that we covered in our Alan Moore's Watchmen panel. Hmm. Clearly, there are healthier ways to deal with trauma or a crime <laughs> epidemic. Than dressing up like Dracula and going out at night and beating the shit out of crazy people. Um, mm. Clearly, Bruce Wayne could probably do more with his money, like maybe make Arkham Asylum harder to escape from. <laughs> that might go a long way. Um, especially, you know, building, you know, schools and doing things to alleviate people out of poverty and yeah. all that fancy stuff, yeah. rather mm. than just more smoke bombs and a bat plane. Maybe there's a better way mm. to do it. I mean, we can all admit that that was what Watchmen was all about. And uh, David Mazzuccelli, who was the artist behind Batman Year One, uh, wrote something in the afterword of that collection that I think really struck me. And this is a quote that he said. While an interesting experiment, it's probably not a good idea to shoehorn too much reality into the fantasy realm yep. of the superhero. Hmm. Once a depiction veers towards realism, 
each new detail releases a torrent of questions that exposes the absurdity at the heart of the genre. The more realistic superheroes become, the less believable they are. So what do you guys think? Is he right about that? And what level of realism do you want to see in a Batman story? Oh, he's absolutely right about it. This is, and once again, at the risk of upsetting people, this is the problem. This is the problem with the whole premise of the Nolan Batman movies is that Batman is an inherently ridiculous idea. We can all agree he's cool. He kicks ass. He's super smart. He does a lot of great, a great shit. But in reality, Batman lasts about five seconds against any kind of bad guy with a gun. It doesn't matter what kind of armor coating he has. It's just, that's it, right? So I don't want, like, I read comics to to get away from reality. I want fantastic adventures. Oof. I don't I don't want a realistic superhero, and I, I hate, mm. well, I, okay, hate is a strong word. I, I dislike attempts to try and make superheroes realistic. I think the reason Marvel has been so successful in their cinematic universe is because they haven't shied away from the inherent ridiculousness of a guy that dresses up in an iron suit, flies around and shoots people with his hands. Or a guy from the 40s that's, you know, throws a shield around and punches people. Like, there, there's, there's, there's a certain amount of ridiculousness that goes around with that. That doesn't mean that it can't be ass-kickingly cool. And as a matter of fact, mm. I think more times than not, it can be. But, I, yeah, I think you injecting realism into these characters raises more questions than it answers. To me, realism... Basically, what you've got to look at is, is this making the story better? You can take elements of realism uh, and, and you can use them to make stories better. And then you can take elements of realism and they ruin a story. Um, but in the end, your primary concern has to be, does it make the story better? Does it make the story more interesting, more awesome, more fun? And I get into... There are always arguments online that try to approach these absurd characters with a realistic lens... You know, people, uh, the, the classic argument is if Batman keeps locking up the Joker and the Joker keeps escaping and killing people, isn't Batman responsible for the Joker's murders because he didn't kill him? And the simple fact is there is no real world answer to that. The answer to that is the Joker is an awesome character. Do you never want to read a Joker story again? Because if Batman kills the Joker, there's no more Joker stories ever. And the Joker is awesome. And people like reading stories about uh, a guy in a Dracula outfit hunting down an evil clown before he can kill people. Um, and so that's the way you have to approach it. You have to approach it as if it's a story. That's why and we were talking about Gotham City before. That's why you can have pinstripe suit gangsters with Tommy guns. That's why you can have um, 1970s Times Square, New York you know, something straight out of Taxi Driver in Gotham City. That's why you can have these gala 1930s uh, balls and charity functions. Because you pull what you want from where you want to take it from to tell better stories. And in the end, um, when realism or continuity or whatever stops being a way to tell better stories and starts being a thing that hangs around your neck and makes you stop telling stories, uh, 
then you chuck it out the window, throw it in the sea. It's not useful to you anymore. Uh, I don't have much to say that can top that, except that, the defeat, that, that if a if a setting isn't broken in some way, then there's no reason to fix it. Um, so mm. Gotham and comic book universes are broken in a particular way that ours is not. That allows for something insane like Batman to actually exist. And so I like it to be mm. broken that way. I, I, I really, I think making, I think the Nolanization of the Batman, I think is taking it a little bit too far i think i think we we saw that with the very last of the films right that it was it sort of got to this point where you're like i i don't i don't want to watch any more of what you have to say about this nolan so yeah for Mm. for me going back and reading this third last 30 years of of how different writers have uh have looked at at batman um kind of cured me of the ill of not caring about Batman anymore because of what the movies had done to him. So, um, mm. in that respect, yeah, d- uh, don't do any more movies about Batman, and I'd be happy actually. <laughs> Good luck with that, case. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. yeah, yeah. So mm. uh, that ends our main discussion. We're going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with high point, low point. And we are back on Radio vs. the Martians this month. We are talking about the Caped Crusader, Batman. And it's just about time for our segment we like to call High Point, Low Point, where we go to the top of the mountain, the bottom of the barrel. We're talking about Batman. Casey, what is the low point of Batman? You know, I'm tempted to say Batman and Robin, because I think that's what a lot of the, the movie, that's what a lot of people say as, like, the cr- most cringeworthy thing Um but really, actually, it was. Think about it. It's, it was Batman Forever. Um, I didn't even see Batman and Robin like until like a decade after it had came out, because of the bad taste that Batman Forever had left in my mouth. And I was someone who genuinely, really came to know the character through the the Burton Batman's. Like, I really, really loved Batman '89. But why? Um, Batman Forever is a fucking stupid movie. It's an incredibly almost unwatchable movie right now if you go back and look at it um first and foremost like val kilmer was a terrible choice to play batman and bruce wayne in fact other than maybe doing a little bit of a light keaton impression um there is nothing about his performance that i remember about that at all and you know what batman has to be an interesting memorable character he cannot be overshadowed by fucking jim fucking carrie um, you can't put Jim Carrey in a movie and it not be a Jim Carrey movie. They basically made a Jim Carrey movie that stars Batman because his animated presence, his whole thing of making an absurd joke about every movement of every word that comes out of his mouth, completely erased any like any semblance of cohesion to the entire movie whenever he was on screen. It doesn't help that Tommy Lee Jones was like slumming it in the weirdest <laughs> way possible with this character. Uh, really... Uh, Harvey Dent in his first first movie should have been fucking Lando. Can yeah. we get some? Can I get some yeah. uh, some Billy D? Hey man, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it oh, was yeah. it was like, uh, and say nothing of the fact that the idea of that the uh, Enigmas, the Edward Enigmas plan is to create mind control three D televisions. Come on, what are they? What are they? Are they insulting the audience here? They're like, oh, it's look at it, watching TV is terrible mind control. What is this medium that you're talking in? That you're you're insulting your audience. Um, it, it, it was, it's terrible. It was an awful, awful movie. And I 
ha- was felt so uneasy about it afterwards. I sort of had the episode one effect, you know, where you go and see it and you were so happy to see something that you liked. Um, and you didn't realize until much, much later how terrible it actually was. But it was that mm. slippery slope from Batman Forever to Batman and Robin that basically made it to be like, oh, this is terrible and people aren't going to care about Batman anymore. And all, nearly, nearly had the whole thing take uh, take a big... It wasn't. It was a big shitter, right? It all wasn't a big shitter. So, mm. Batman Forever and what happened afterwards is my low point. Paul, low point. Mm. Uh, my low point is pretty much the state of Batman these days. Uh, I'm not a fan of DC Comics' current direction, and I think it hit it hit a real nadir with with current Batman story arcs, where. You know, you basically have the Joker going... Like, I, I read the Joker stories back in the 70s and stuff, and they were kind of interesting and weird. Um, there's one story where he steals a bunch of explosives so that he can blow up a cliff overlooking Gotham City, so it can turn into this big Mount Rushmore face, of like the Joker's face, so that every morning everybody in Gotham City looks up and sees him. Uh, or, or, you know, one where he gets everybody together... Um, for his birthday and makes a giant cake and straps everybody to candles, which are rockets, which are going to explode and (laughs) stuff like that. And (laughs) then you get him these days and apparently now he's this immortal, unkillable spirit of discord that's been around forever. And he got a criminal to slice his face off and then he stapled the skin of his own face back onto his skull. And he's just going around murdering people to prove that he can... And I'm just, and basically the, at the whole point, Batman is just helpless. Batman is kind of wandering around going, you know, oh, I, I could have got here in time, but no, all those babies are dead. And, you know, it's just like, it's just this, this essentially, as you said before, there's this story where, you know, if you've got a, a character like Batman and you own that character, if you're Warner Brothers, then you have one story that you're interested in telling, and that story is Batman is awesome. Here is the story. Batman is awesome. And you read the story and you go, Batman is awesome. I want more Batman. And then they go, well, we own it. So, you know, where the guys to come to to get. But in this, it's like Batman is this futile jackass. The Joker is kind of awesome because he can do whatever he wants. But he's just this unimaginative... It's basically like if you got some 15-year-old metalhead with ADD and said, you know, and then you fed him like shitloads of sugar and you pumped death metal into his, into his head for like an hour. And you said, what do you feel like doing now? Just write down everything. Don't think about it. That's pretty much the Joker's motivation. You know, kill people, you know, cut people's faces off, uh, cut people's arms off and sew them to their legs. And, you know, and it's just like... <sighs> there's there's no point to it it's this kind of nihilistic mm. revelry in abomination and the hero is pretty much defined by the fact that all of his successes are kind of pyrrhic victories and in the end nothing really changes and it's like i'm not interested in reading any more of that you know, you're you're not selling me on this character at all. You're selling me you, what you're selling me on is that life is shit, and terrible things happen all the time, and there's nothing you can do about it. And it's like, what the fuck do I want that message from in my adventure and action hero comics? 
you know, that's that's what I watch fucking cable news for. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's pretty much my low point. Oh Jesus Christ, uh, Joe, can you go darker than that? Um, well, I I I think where I'm going to go is oddly related because my low point is. Uh, the Nolan Batman movies, specifically the last two, Dark Knight and Dark Knight Rises. Because I think, while it's true, Batman Forever is a horrible piece of shit, and Batman and Robin actually ends up being worse, they're so bad mm. you can't take them seriously. Mm. Chris Nolan sold the world on this uber-dark, like, <laughs> Batman, and it made all this money, and it convinced anybody... I mean, you have the the people running DC Comics right now are the people that were running Marvel Comics in the 90s when Marvel Comics was just putting out shit after shit after shit. It really, it either read like the 15-year-old speed metal ADD kid or his his uh, 16-year-old sis, sister's uh, diary. It was one or the other, right? Mm. It was either filled with melodrama and... Poorly written, angsty characters, or just shit being violent because it could be violent. And I, I really feel like Nolan comes and, and in a lot of ways, Batman Begins is the the Dark Knight Returns of the cinematic Batman universe. Mm -hmm. All right, because you start off, you have Batman eighty nine, you have Batman Returns, which I believe are both solid films. I love Keaton's Batman. Mm. I love both of those movies, and part of that is due to nostalgia, I'll admit, but. Then you've got the Schumacher Batman movies, which are very much like the Batman 66. They're campy, they're weird, they're screwy, they're badly made. So Nolan comes around and he's like, well, I'm going to do this Batman thing, right? But he doesn't really like the idea of a comic book superhero. And so he just tones, I think he turns Batman into a very one-note character. I call him Punch Man. <laughs> mm. He's Punch Scream Man, right? He yells at people, and mm. then he beats the crap out of them. He's not very effectual. Um, there's a lot of needless stuff. And those movies just get worse and worse. You know? it's mm. and, and part of that, I'll admit, I don't care for... I think Heath Ledger did an amazing job. I don't... That's not the Joker I like. I like the much more Paul Dini Joker. The Joker that's going to fucking blow up a cliff over Gotham because it'll make his face in the cliff, right? <laughs> yeah. The Joker that kidnaps mm. Robin on Christmas Eve and is randomly shooting out the window, not because he's got some crazy, not because he's a psychopath and he wants to make people afraid, but because it amuses him. Mm -hmm. And that'll, and then mm. in five minutes he kicks Robin out because he's done. And it's no longer amusing him. And now he's going to go do something else. That's very much the Robin I like. Mm. I think Alan Moore really kind of, with the killing joke, mm -hmm. really kind of created this sociopathic, um, sadistic Joker, and I think for some reason that's really got its claws into the the pop culture zeitgeist right now, and it it bothers me because I don't think that's an interesting character. Past two stories, you know, but mm. I think so. So Nolan does that in in Dark Knight, and then in Dark Knight Rises, I just think that's a poorly made movie. Yeah. I think it's overly exposited. There's there's people saying things that do not need to be said. It's like, Batman turns off the light. I just turned off the light. I was like, <laughs> I just turned off the light. I was like, no, did nobody tell Christian Bale that he sounded like an idiot? I, I just, <laughs> but, and people fucking flocked to it. It made so much money that I think it's responsible for a lot of this uber, uber darkness because now everybody thinks, you know, executives, if it makes money, 
They don't give a. They're just going to do, keep doing the same thing over and over again until it stops making money. So now we have Dark Superman. We've got. We're going to have Super Dark Batman versus Superman. <laughs> we're going to have Grim Dark Wonder Woman running around. You know, whatever. I don't fucking know. They'll probably make her <laughs> Superman's girlfriend because that's a great fucking idea. No, it's not. No, <laughs> it's not. Let's. You know, we can keep a little bit of the camp. Of Batman and mm. still be tell compelling kick ass stories. We can we can give you emotional, emotionally rich content without denying the fact that Batman is a guy that fucking swings from building to building with a kid in tights. Yeah, you know we can do those things. Mm. And I think Chris Nolan is really responsible for a lot of people that just kind of want this uber dark, uber gritty Batman. And that, that upsets me because that's not the character I love. But beyond that, I think it's a I think it's a deliberate misinterpretation of the source material. Mm. I think I'm coming to it from a similar place. Um, I hate to drag out an old favorite, Casey, mm -hmm. but I think we're going to put this under the umbrella of people are shit. Oh yes, <laughs> um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a frequent low point on this show. I'm going to say that. Uh, I'm talking about a certain kind of Batman fan, and maybe the Batman fan you're talking about, Joe, who drives me up a fucking wall. And I <laughs> usually encounter people, and they're usually in our age range. We're talking about somebody in their 30s or a little bit older. And I would characterize this as a total unwillingness to share this character with children. And yeah. kids love Batman. Yeah. Why wouldn't kids love Batman? Again, bat, rocket, car. Yes. Um, he does awesome things. He's constantly fighting bad guys, and he makes cool escapes, and he saves people, and he crashes through windows, and when he holds his cape up, it looks like a bat. Why wouldn't you like that? And, you know, mm. there's everything about it that kids would be drawn to, and we have a comic book company and the movie company that owns it pumping out stuff that is inappropriate for people that would absolutely love this character as the default version of Batman. Now, mm. you know, it's, it's, it drives me crazy because there is a place for dark Batman. And one of my favorite Batman stories, most of my favorite Batman stories tend to be more dark than campy. There is definitely a role for dark Batman. There is a place for Batman stories written for adults. I'm a big fan of the killing joke, though I think it should be an out-of-continuity one-shot. I like Dark Knight Returns, though I have clearly a lot of issues with it. Um, I actually like the first two Christopher Nolan movies with reservations. I don't necessarily want him dressing as like a SWAT team guy with the ears and stuff like that. Yeah, that, I, I kind of <laughs> pulled more into there. I'm, I'm kind of a Denny O'Neill, Neil Adams Batman guy in my head. Mm. But... Uh, we shouldn't get caught into this idea that there is only one version of this character that is legitimate. Yep. That that's not real Batman. Batman would never do that. Batman would never hang out with Commandy, the last boy on Earth, or go into space. <laughs> Batman would never hang out with Robin or anyone in a yellow cape. Batman would never fucking smile because superheroes are serious goddamn business <laughs> and I want you to take my, my fucking hobby serious. <laughs> it's that insecurity yep. at the heart of that rage 
that just drives me crazy. There is a place in Batman for, like, Batmite, the magical imp that fucks with him every so often <laughs> by being his number one fan. There is a place for alien gangsters in the 50s and 60s or the stuff in the Super Friends where he reaches under his cape and pulls out a bat bazooka from fucking nowhere. <laughs> That's Batman, too. And you know what? Some days you really can't get rid of a fucking bomb. So... <laughs> We need to be able to share this, people. <laughs> this character needs to be shared with children, too, because there's absurdity and fun yep. on top of it. This character's broad enough, and I really think that the core of the stuff we create with this character should be, by default, all-ages friendly, mm. and that the stuff that is for you know, weird, twisted, fucked-up grown-ups like me should be this sort of stuff off to the side. Maybe put it under the banner of, like, Legends of the Dark Knight or something with a Vertigo-style cover that clearly says, hey, this is different than the stuff over here where he's punching the evil cloud in the face for trying to put laughing gas in the Gotham City Reservoir. It's a different sort of thing. The, the pieces are the cool. same, but it's a little bit different. And to those of you who said that Batman is all this and not that, that Dick Sprang Batman isn't real Batman, that the fun Bob Haney stuff where he's teaming up with pirates isn't real Batman, and that, you know, when I hear fanboys just rudle, rattle on and on about mm. how this isn't real Batman and that's not real Batman, only my Batman is real Batman, fuck you guys. Fuck you guys for not sharing. This character is big enough for all of us to share in. There's room for your Dark Avenger of the Night and for the Goofy Policeman's Friend Batman. All in the same publishing <laughs> line. Because if we're going to have 20 fucking Batman titles coming out every month, can some of them be fun too? Really? Come on, let's fucking share. Just a little bit. Just a little bit, people. Yep. You can have your Batman, they can have theirs, and maybe you can go be grumpy in the corner over there. <laughs> you don't have to read all of it. Not all for you. <laughs> so that's my low point, is those assholes who don't want to fucking share. Well, plus, it, it cuts out the character's best point. You know, it's like, if you've got a character that's a blank slate that you can tell every sort of story with, then what kind of motherfucker's gonna come out and go, No! Just this! <laughs> yeah, seriously. That's the, well, that's the whole, that's the best fucking part about owning a goddamn character. Yeah. You could, I mean, you can put Batman on anything and it'll sell. Let somebody fucking, mm. come. the whole reason we have shit like the Dark Knight and all this really great Batman and stuff is because it's, you had people like, um, what's his name? Jules, uh, Jules Schwartz and Denny O'Neill and people that recognize that having more stories about Batman was better than having less stories about Batman. Hmm. Like, let people yep. fucking come up and give it their shot. You might end up with crap, mm. but sometimes you're going to end up with shit like Batman 100 or or, or Year One and, and really great stories that really enrich the Batman mythos. Like, don't fucking... One of the biggest problems with the New 52 is that it was an all-new fucking beginning for everybody, except Batman, who somehow had 70 years of continuity crammed into five fucking years. Yeah. It's like, get over yourself, DC. All right? And he's going through fucking Robins. You, I gotta yeah, say. you got fucking... Tw you got... Yeah, if you've got 20 Batman titles, then why isn't there an all-ages title? Why isn't there a fucking... Mm. For mature readers only title? Why isn't there a title where he's... Uh, you know, bring back the brave and the bold. That's a great idea. There's so much ah, richness so there. Good. But it's like, no, we're not hitting our quotas here. But we're just gonna get rid of everything that's fucking good. And it's like, 
We're going to appeal to the smallest slice of the comic book pie, right? Yeah. It's like Image is nipping at our fucking heels. Marvel is kicking our ass at the box office. And we're still going to get that 4% slice. (laughs) Yeah. I love it when this show feels like group therapy. (laughs) I know. It's good. It's good. You got to express that. You got to get it out of your system. And and now that we're kind of channeling this. Let's go to the high point. Let's go to the top of the best of Batman, the stuff that doesn't make us want to spit venom as we just did. So Mm -hmm. I want to say, Paul, what is the high point of Batman? There are so many because I've been reading Batman for so long um, (sighs) that animated stuff that came out, the Batman animated series... And, and the Brave and the Bold that came afterwards, I can watch that forever. The games, the, the first two games from, from Rockstar, uh, Rocksteady Games, just stupidly good. But I think the, the moment, and, and this is a story that I have told before, was one where I encountered Batman in an unexpected place. Um, recently, I've gotten into this whole thing of like going back and watching stuff that I haven't seen before. Uh, never, you know, um, oh, I haven't seen this classic, like I haven't seen a lot of Jimmy Cagney gangster films or I haven't seen a bunch of Hammer horror films or whatever. And uh, at one point I decided I should go back and watch a bunch of 70s black exploitation films. Oh, yeah. And one <laughs> of the films I watched was Black Belt Jones with Jim Kelly. And it is amazing, and you should seek it out and watch it because it will make you happy. And at one point, uh, the, the the basic story is the man wants to buy up all the, the 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 property in the ghetto so that he can refurbish it and and kick everybody out. And everybody's sold out except the Scatman Crothers, who's running a, a, a karate dojo. <laughs> oh yeah! Don't fuck with Scatman Crothers. <laughs> And anyway, oh. uh, a bunch of a bunch of bad dudes have been coming around and threatening him. And Black Belt Jones has just come back into town and has hooked up with Scatman Crothers. And he says, "Yeah, these fellas have been coming around hassling me." And and Black Belt Jones goes, "It's all right. I'll I'll deal with this shit." So that night, Black Belt Jones and one of the uh, students is laying in wait for the mobsters when they turn up. And. He he parks the student over by the light switch, and he says, here's the deal. When I give you the signal, you switch the light on. You count three, and then you switch the light off again. Then, count three, on, three, off. Just keep doing that for as long as I need you to. And he goes, okay, sure. So, night comes, the door opens, the, 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 the roughnecks come in. And they're sneaking around. And all of a sudden, it's bam, bam, bam. And they're going, what the fuck? What's going on? Who the hell is that? And the lights come on. And there's Jim Kelly. Stands there looking straight at him and goes, Batman, motherfucker! (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And I lost my fucking mind. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Because at that point, it suddenly dawned on me that there are people around the world who have never watched more than a couple of episodes of the animated series, who have never watched the movies more than casually. There are people who've never read a comic book who love the fuck out of Batman. And Batman means something to them. Batman means the coolest, baddest guy on the planet. 
and I just went, that is so cool, and uh, just it made me feel really just powerfully good, and it still does. It's just just this great moment of just going, yep, all in this together. Everybody loves Batman. Oh wow! Nice. Wow, nice. It's so, a powerful thing. Yeah, seriously, Joe. High point. So I went back and forth on this because I I agree with Paul. There's so many, and I think I was gonna say the animated series because that I think is a, is the gateway Batman drug of choice for a lot of people. <laughs> um, it's incredibly consistent. It's it's just it is a uh, a touchstone. I think. But then I, I started thinking about it more, and I started kind of thinking, well, what, what is it about that? Like, we could talk about any one of the aspects of the animated series, but what is it really about that? And I realized that for me, the high point of Batman is understanding that he is a piece of a larger picture. Even before the Bat family. Even before Robin and, you know, Oracle and Batgirl and all this. Batman works... I don't think Batman works alone. I think my favorite Batman stories, and I think the high point of Batman is when you understand that he needs people like Alfred. He needs people mm-hmm. like Leslie. He needs people that ground him. People that tell him, you're just a man. You're not an island. You cannot do this by yourself. There's this great moment, and I'm I'm getting, I'm actually getting goosebumps thinking about it, because it's one of my favorite fucking things. Um, I was going to say it's one of my favorite Batman movies, but it's technically not. It's from Bruce Wayne Fugitive. And basically, um, Bruce, Bruce Wayne has been framed for the murder of his uh, Vesper Fairchild, who was this woman he was seeing. And he escapes from jail. He gets tried. He gets put in jail. He escapes from jail. And everybody's like, oh, Bruce, you got out. That's great. Now you can start clearing your name. And he's like, I'm not going to clear my name. And they're like, what are you talking about? It's like, Bruce Wayne is dead. I'm Batman. And it's like, um, really, dude? <laughs> like... That's not really going to work for everybody else. Like, you have a company to run. And he's like, well, Lucius can do it. And he's like, well, And uh, there's this great moment where Superman's like, hey, Bruce, I heard that you are in trouble. Do you need any help? Right? Because, you know. And he's he's like, I'm not Bruce anymore. I'm Batman. And Superman's like, yeah, okay. (laughs) Just let me know if you need anything, Bruce. But it's great because he says it as he's flying away. So he, like, flies away. And in the next panel, it just down. He's just like, Bruce. But... There's this moment when everything's come to a head and Dick, Nightwing, is in the Batcave. And Batman's like, fuck you, I don't need any of you. Stop bugging me. I'm going to go and do this. And Dick's like, you can't do this. And Batman's like, who's going to fucking stop me? And Dick fucking clocks him. Full on. Just hits him right in the face. And it's this amazing moment because that's where everything Mm. changes. And only one person could do that, right? Mm Mm-hmm. It had to be it had to be Dick Grayson. It had to be that mm. moment where he was going, You are being such an enormous asshole right now that the only way I can <laughs> save you from yourself is to fucking smack you one. <laughs> so now you now it's my turn, right? We're not in Batland anymore. Right? Mm. Like you're gonna listen to reason whether you want to or not. And in that moment you see that the real power of Batman is not that he's got this incredible fortune that he's a brilliant engineering mind and that he's a brilliant scientific mind it's that he is surrounded by incredibly talented equally smart people that love him and care about him and i think Mm. in that moment that's just for me like there's nothing comes close when when those people are there for him when it's alfred going hey you're not alone in this when it's leslie saying bruce Mm. remember yourself 
you know, when it's Robin going, hey, we're buds, right? Like, there's all these great little moments where you're reminded that Batman is part of a whole. He's like the Bat Dad, you know? And, like, sometimes your kids have to say, hey, you're being an asshole. Come on. <laughs> and for me, that's, that's I think, when Batman really shines. And the Bat books really shine. And I think one of the big problems mm. with the New 52 has gotten away from that. And I think that needs to come back. Because, you know, what we were talking about, kids right like he fucking hangs out with a kid there's a reason he does that there's a reason that robin is such an important mm. part and it's not so that bad guys will shoot at him because he's brightly colored it's because <laughs> they recognize he recognizes in them the same pain he sees in himself and he reaches out to them to try and give them a direction that he did not have he's mm. trying to save them from the ra- falling into the rage and the anger and the hate that rules his life and that he's aware of rules his life. Batman by himself, the, the one of the greatest things about him and the Joker is the Joker knows that he's a dark reflection of Batman. He knows that Batman is only ever a hair's width away from falling into that pit and becoming what he beholds. And the Bat family is the thing that keeps Batman sane. And it doesn't matter. It's like mm. I said, it doesn't matter whether it's Alfred at home or Leslie Tompkins in the city or, Robin or whoever. The fact that he's got that anchor, I think, is is a powerful thing. And that's, that's hands down my favorite thing about mm. Batman. Awesome. Mm. Casey? Uh, I, I can't be as passionate or verbose as you. And, and I went back and forth. Um, uh, I actually think, and I blame you for this, Mike, that you made me gay for <laughs> Brubaker. Um, now everything <laughs> that I read from Ed Brubaker, I love and it becomes my favorite thing. I feel like I'm like my... Uh, like my 10 and 13 year old nephews, the last movie that they've seen is their favorite movie ever. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much every <laughs> Brubaker story I read is like my favorite comic book ever. Uh, it's Gotham Central. Oh, yeah. Um, uh, and for the uninitiated, it's it's about, good. it's basically homicide life in the street uh, with Batman, right? You're following these detectives, the day shift and the night shift of the Gotham City PD um, major crimes unit. And these are people that live in the city Gotham, this universe where um, they have a city that's chronically infested with crime. It's it's uh, there's corruption inside the pol- uh, police station that's making it sometimes impossible to actually uh, prosecute criminals. And also, at any time, you could open up a door and there could be Mister Freeze shoot you and you're dead. Um, you, and you'd have no way to protect against it. And then add that to the fact that. As stressful and frightening and dangerous as it is, you can get close to finishing it, and Batman is going to come and sweep up after you and fix your problem for you. So it allows you to not actually ever be able to do your job. But on top of that, it is a character drama about the insane stress of doing this job and the camaraderie that happens in these people that have to fight to to fight crime in the legit way, in the non-vigilante way, but have to lean on Batman, too, sometimes when it gets too hairy. And the scenarios that he creates is, like, it's great procedural detective stories, um, and it's also just enough flavor of that sort of Batman chaos in it to make it compelling mm. and for you to not actually know how it's going to, how it's going to resolve itself. Um, so, Gotham Central, my high point. It's a top-notch series. It really it's, is. It's excellent. Mm, so it really is. Also, oh. I want a bumper sticker for some reason that says "Gay for Brew Baker." I think that'd be hilarious. <laughs> I don't want any context. I don't want any context at all. I just want to put that in my car and let people come to whatever conclusions they want. <laughs> <laughs> 
Uh, it, it was hard for me to to really come to something, and I think that the the door prize for everyone's second choice is Batman the Animated Series, which we yeah. should say was mm. an amazing oh, yes. oh, God, yeah. version of that character. Mm. And for a lot of people, their primary inroad to loving Batman, it it was my main yep. way of seeing Batman for mm-hmm. a long time. Mm-hmm. But for me, mm. I gotta go with Batman Year One, and no, Batman yeah. Year One was a four part story by Frank Miller, who we talked about before, the Dark Knight Returns guy, and drawn by David Mazzuchelli in four issues of the main Batman title in 1987. So this is one year after doing this revolutionary Batman story that changed everything. He followed it up by doing the first Batman story. It's definitely a Miller story. um, And he decides not to draw this one, which I am actually uh, pretty amazed by, because all the, the pressure, I'm sure, from the company would be make this exactly like The Dark Knight Returns, which was a blockbuster for them. So he does, and he brings in this artist, David Mazzuchelli, who is not really known for doing superhero comic books. Miller's artwork has this sort of big, operatic, dramatic, you know, just iconic look to it, where it just punches itself off off of the, the page, and it just looks like, bam, bam, I mean, anyone who's seen the stuff that he does for Sin City has that look where right. it is just mm. dramatic to the ultimate. And everything that happens feels 50 times bigger than it needs to be. Mazzuchelli in this does the exact opposite. It's incredibly understated. It's amazing what this guy can do with a minimum use of lines. And this is the same guy who said that quote before about, you know, finding that right balance between realism and the absurdity at the heart of the superhero genre. And I think this one strikes exactly the right balance, that the world feels real, but the things that happen inside of this realistically drawn world are not real at all. That it's action Mm. hero Michael Bay stuff, but done in a world that sort of restrains the visual outer shell of it, action, in something that almost feels mundane, and that's what gives it power. It feels like you're in the middle of something like Homicide Life on the Streets. Uh, you're in the middle of an actual crime drama story. And then a guy in a bat costume shows up. So what this story really is, is it just kind of spells out, in in short, the first year of Batman as Bruce Wayne returning back to Gotham City after living abroad and starting his career of being a vigilante and learning how to be Batman. And as a parallel... It's also a story about Commissioner Gordon. He's still just Lieutenant Gordon at this point. And Mm. he's a good cop from Chicago who's transferred to Gotham. And it's him trying to basically be a Serpico figure, that he's trying to be a good cop in a city where it's just easier to go along to get along, to take the bribes, to shake down drug dealers, to turn a blind eye to the right people who make a lot of money, that, yeah, you're on the Carmine Falcone case. Yeah, (laughs) the big mob boss in town, but you're not really going to catch him. You're essentially playing Wile E. Coyote on purpose. That you're always going to be just out of reach, just take the money and shut up, and we'll just say the right things to the press about why we can't catch anything. It doesn't matter that, you know, the witnesses turn up dead. So this is ultimately a story about two really good people going into an ugly, ugly, corrupt place. And rather than fighting a supervillain, and aside from a cameo by Catwoman, there really aren't any supervillains in this story. The villain is Gotham Mm. City. The villain is... Uh, Falcone, who's this crime boss, it's the mayor, it's the corrupt commissioner, it's the status quo of Gotham City. Mm -hmm. It's two guys trying Mm. to change it, and trying to be good people fighting against people who have no scruples, who have 
no compunction from killing people who get in their way or even just like in the case of Gordon, it makes them nervous that he doesn't take bribes. Mm -hmm. And that's a problem that they're going to have to try to solve. And actually encapsulating this character in a much more gritty, streamlined way where he doesn't have a bat rocket ship. He doesn't even have the Batmobile at this point. It's just a high-class prototype sedan that he drives around that gets trashed halfway through the story. (laughs) It's just bat shurikens and bat rope and some smoke bombs. It's basic back-to-basics Batman. And what it really reminds Mm. me of more than anything else is the 2006 Casino Royale Bond movie uh, starring Daniel Craig Mm. because it has that same thing. It's like, okay, we've done the absurd. We've done the -the over-the-top. We've done the stuff where Batman is fighting Martians on top of the Statue of Liberty or whatever. (laughs) Let's pull it back a bit. Let's go back to the absolute core beginning of this character. And it's just a guy in a bat suit who's the one truly crazy element in the story fighting regular criminals, fighting the mob. And it feels like nowadays Mm. having a superhero fight regular criminals is such a novelty that it's always Mm. every month it's a Joker. Every month it's a Riddler or Mr. Freeze. And it doesn't make them feel special when they're overused that way. And I just like seeing Mm. a vigilante throwing himself against organized crime. And what I love about this series, it's this is a series that's just got gorgeous artwork. It's got a great mood. It's a good dark Batman story that doesn't get overly pretentious or adolescent or stupidly angry in the way that it feels like, again, the kid with the bag of sugar Mm. and the death metal being pumped into his head. It's Mm. mature, but it's not stupid or needlessly violent. It's a perfect balance. Batman Year One is just a great, well-done Batman story. And then... Batman The Dark Knight Returns is the one that I think gets held up on a pedestal all the time, that it's the one that everyone talks about as the greatest Batman story. I don't think it's the greatest Batman story, though I think it's a great Batman story. It's not even the greatest Frank Miller Batman story, because I think this is the greatest Frank Miller Batman story. Batman Year One doesn't do the revolutionary, crazy things that changes the industry forever. It does things that you've seen a thousand times before and since, but it does them so well that you don't get sick of seeing things that have since become tropes because you've never seen them executed as deftly, as smartly, and as just well-drawn as they are here. And you realize that these things have stuck around as storytelling techniques for a reason because they resonate when they're done well. And they're done so well here. It doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it makes such a damn good wheel that you actually want to reread this story. Hmm. So Batman Hmm. Year One is my high point for the character of Batman. And uh, with that, I want to thank all of our lovely guests for joining us on this episode of Radio vs. the Martians. Paul Rue, I want to thank you again for being here. It has been too long, sir. Uh, it's always a treat. I, I always love coming on the podcast and uh, always love uh, just freeform nerd talking. It's just wonderful. Glad to have you. And Joe Preddy from the View from the Gutters podcast, thank you so much for joining us, sir. Oh, I, my pleasure. It's my absolute pleasure to talk about Batman. And with you, my gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> and Mr. Casey Doran, sir. Always a pleasure, sir. Good night. Good night, all. All right. <laughs> and with that, we will catch you folks next month. I'm Batman. Oh, cool. Radio vs. the Martians is produced by Mike Gillis and Casey Doran. 
Our editor was Mike Gillis. Our theme music was written and performed by Todd Maxfield Matsumoto. Find us online at RadioVersusTheMartians.com and send us your feedback at info at RadioVersusTheMartians.com. Batman? No, he's a scientist. Batman's a scientist. It's not Batman.